This morning, we have the absolute privilege and honour to have our Executive Director, Tanya Watson, from Churches of Christ, the body, here to just share and communicate an incredible message to the heart of Elevate. So engage, listen, and allow God to just stretch our hearts a little bit further. Come on down. We should have the prices right music. Thanks, Tanya. But there was no cheering. <laughs> Thank you for the cheering. Uh, before I get into the message today, I really want to encourage you with this whole think big thing. Uh, I was really privileged to be a part of the meeting when some of the leaders were talking about, oh, Louise just dropped her present, red wine all over the carpet. Um, really privileged to sit in the meeting when, that, when it was being discussed, um, should we consider buying that house? And it was an interesting meeting for me to be in because it's a no-brainer, you should buy that house. But uh, I'm not a part of you, and I also understand that the uh, cost of buying that house is considerable. And this is going to take faith of epic proportions, but I absolutely believe that this is for you and that this is a season for you to engage in it. But I'm also saying, you know, we feel the weight of this for you. This is going to require some sacrifice, and I'm so excited that you're going into 40 days of prayer and fasting and uh, I'm joining you in that because I feel for you. I love being a part of your church here. To give you a bit of a broader perspective as well, the other reason I'm not just standing up here sort of winding you up going, you know, you should do this. Um, to give you the broader perspective, I, I mean, God has spoken to our churches with this crazy promise that our churches, all of our churches, 61 of them, will be full of new believers. Now, that that uh, is a promise to our churches. That's not something that I can do. It's not something that you can do on your own, but it's something that we're believing into. And as you hear that promise, the invitation is there for you to believe it and to walk into it and to accept it as your own. And that's going to mean you getting out there, sharing your faith every day, no matter who you are or where you are. Because that's the only way our churches are going to be full of new believers. The second thing I want to just uh, just uh, share with you is that earlier this year I was praying into this whole church is full of new believers. It's been three and a half years I've been talking about this. And we're seeing some movement across the life of our churches, including yours. Um, it was an equation and it got, it, um, it's called Move to the Power of X. And without uh, that would be a whole other message that I have to share with you. But let me just say that what this means to me is that God is calling us to move, but move in the power of his spirit. And this is another word for the churches. And I'm going around talking to all the ministers saying, this is a season where if the churches are going to be full of new believers, we need to move. But not move in our own efforts, not make this thing happen. We need to participate with the person of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. It's in him that we live and move and have our being. And I doubt myself, but I don't doubt the power of God. Do you? And I think this is a part of authenticity, isn't it? To go, I can't make this happen. I can't do it. I can, there's a lot of stuff I can do. I have responsibilities. You have responsibilities. I need to trust God. I need to believe. I need to embrace that which I know to be true, even when I don't feel like it. But I can absolutely have confidence in the power of God. If he raised Jesus from the dead, he can do this. And he can do this in and through you. So I'm praying with you, really encouraged by your journey. And I'm just, I feel like a part of your family. I hope you feel like I'm a part of your family. But you're not, you're not on your own in this. We're standing with you. You are not on your own. When you're feeling weak, we'll be there with you, praying for you. 
We want to lend you our confidence, lend you our courage. We want to stand with you in this project. So blessings on you as you as we uh, as you're heading to that. Okay, this morning we're going to talk about authenticity and uh, being authentic in a selfie world. Authenticity, this quest, it's a quest to be, what does that authenticity mean? What does it mean to be an authentic person? It's not new to social media. Social media has just highlighted it. Um, actually, I've been on a quest for authenticity for a long time. When I, uh, 20 years ago, Oprah was leading the way. So she was, instead of social media, you can go back 20 years and it was all about what Oprah was doing. And uh, as a young mum with two children, the highlight of my day was getting both kids into bed by one o'clock so I could watch Oprah. And I did that whole excavating my, my inner space with Oprah, trying to figure out who am I and what was my place in the world and all this kind of stuff. So this question of authenticity is not new. So this morning in the message, I haven't actually focused on social media because I think it's a human question. What does it mean to be an authentic person? So I'm gonna, I was going to tell you a funny story about uh, my husband, Neil. You can see the Facebook picture um, and about living my authentic life with Neil, who looks like George Clooney, if you look at him and you squint your eyes, like he, you swear I'm married to George Clooney, which means that my authentic self on the inside is I look like a tall, um, very slender, long-leggy uh, human rights, international human rights lawyer. That's my authentic life. And uh, we drive around in my little red Fiat, which Mark is really jealous about. Neil said to this morning, we shouldn't, we shouldn't take the Fiat to the church because Mark, that will, that will provoke Mark to envy and jealousy and that would not be the Christian thing. And I said, no, let's drive the Fiat. So, <laughs> so the fact that Mark is on holidays and out running is, you know, God saved him today from envy and comparison. So I'm not going to tell you the story about um, my authentic life with George Clooney. You can go and stalk me on Facebook and find out all about that, but, Except that I heard someone say this week that um, there's something going around on the internet about a woman is going around saying that if you look at any man and squint your eyes, he looks like George Clooney. And I thought, I started that. I should be getting credit for that. All right. So let's jump into um, the... I'm just going to jump straight to the aha moment because I know I'm commanded to finish by four minutes to 11. The aha moment for me in this message came when I was reading in Genesis uh, chapter 3. So we're going to go right back to the beginning. And let's, we're going to read Genesis 3, 1 to 10, and you can follow along. I'm going to go old school and read from my paper Bible. So Genesis 3, 1 to 10. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. You all know this story. It's the first one of the first stories. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? 
He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Here's the aha moment for me in this question of authenticity. In this story, and even if you haven't been around church much, you will, you'll be familiar with the story of Adam and Eve in the garden. If you step back from it, there are two questions being asked here. Two people asking two questions. The first question is asked by Satan, the enemy of God, the serpent. And despite what you read there, I think if you step back, the question that Satan is actually asking Eve is this. It's the cruelest question. Who are you? That was a question that never needed to be asked until then. Who are you? Don't you hate it when someone says to you, who are you? Or as someone has said to me not so long ago, who are you? (laughs) Doesn't feel great, does it? Because suddenly it opens the door, it's like Pandora's box. How do you answer that question, who are you? Who are you? Where um, it was never meant to be asked. It takes us outside of a sense of security. Suddenly we're going, well, who am I? And so it raises the whole question of identity. And we, in order to answer that question, we then have to automatically start comparing ourselves. Well, who am I as distinct from who are you? And God never intended it that way. I think the question, who am I, is a restless question. There's a restlessness about that because you can never really answer that question with clarity. Who are you? My identity shifts and changes all the time. Does yours? And if you think about that, it makes you feel like you're schizophrenic or insecure or something. I mean, in my lifetime, I, you know, I have numbers of roles. I'm my wife, I'm a mother, I'm a friend, I'm a bad daughter, I'm a good daughter. Uh, you know, I have, a, I have a job, I have friends. I've been different people at different times. You know, when I was, uh, I, I, had, I did the career woman thing in early my 20s, I wanted to be a career woman. Um, I became a Victoriana mother, you know, that teacups and, you know, the whole cupcakes and all that stuff. I was into that 20 years ago before it was cool. I'm just letting you know. Um, I can still make a good cupcake. You can see that on Facebook as well, how authentically good am I. Um, You know, I've been different people. And if you think about your life, how would you answer that question, who am I? Because you're different things to different people. And we change over time. We actually can't put words to that question, is who am I about our heart, our soul, our mind? It's all of that, isn't it? You can't quite nail it down. And that's what makes this question of Satan really cruel. Who are you? There was a question that should never needed to be asked of anybody. And the only way you'll find an answer to this identity question, who are you, is in God. Because he's the only person with whom we are completely safe and completely known. God says to us, I know you. I know who you are. I love who you are, just as you are in this moment. And that's the unchanged, unchanging truth that we can live in. And outside of God, we, can't, we, we never know that sense of peace and settledness about the who am I question. It's really hard to define ourselves outside of that security that we find in God. And that's part of the good news, isn't it? Good news in a restless world. I don't have to worry about the who am I question. I don't have to worry about that. You know, sociologists will tell us, and Louie will know this, she's now qualified, 
you know, the, the two, one of the two, uh, the, the biggest human need is the answer to the question, who am I and am I loved? Until Satan asked that question, it was never an issue. Now we're all running around going, who am I? Am I loved? Who loves me? We will only find an answer to that question in a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That is great news in a hurting world. In a restless world, searching for who am I and how I love, we have the answer to that question. Are you excited about that today? You don't look excited. We are a people at peace with God and with others. We're not worried about who am I. We know who we are because God loves us. We know that we are loved perfectly. Loved even more than our partners love us. Or if you don't have a partner, you can know that you are absolutely loved by God. That's a, you know, that's a great place to start. And that puts an end to that cruel question, who am I? So here's the aha moment in, t- in terms of authenticity. Satan asked the question of identity. What struck me in this story when I thought about it was God didn't walk around. He, God knew exactly what had happened when Adam and Eve took that fruit. He didn't, and they had changed. The story we see quite clearly, Adam and Eve changed. The moment they ate, they changed. God didn't show up and go, well, who are you? He asked a very different question. Did you notice it at the end? I'd never seen it before until I looked at this, this question of authenticity. God says, where are you? Not who are you, but where are you? Can you just feel the love in that question? He looked after them. He didn't, he didn't sort of... That you, can you imagine the pain? Uh, you know, if you stop to think about what happened when they ate the fruit and they were changed. They had moved from this space of absolute peace with who they are and their relationship with God to being completely, I, I don't know, I just, I, the more I think about that, the more pain, internal pain I feel about how, how much pain must they have been in and how cruel it would have been for God to come along and go, who are you, and just sort of stick the finger in the sore spot. You know when you've got a sore spot and, you, and, and someone, t- I, I was in the, having an um, x-ray done on Friday and I've got a spot on my foot that's sore and the lady was just poking it. I was going, can you just stop poking that thing because I'm here because it's sore. I don't need you to push it anymore and make it sorer. God didn't do that. He comes along and he holds them and he says, where are you? It's a very different question. It's a loving question. It's a question of kindness. And this is a question of authenticity. God's not asking people, who are you? He knows. He doesn't have to ask. He doesn't need to ask, who are you? What have you been up to? He says, where are you? Why are you hiding? Why are you hiding? Adam and Eve were covered up. Their whole world had changed. Their sense of identity had changed. And so they hid. Is this starting to get to your heart now? I think God's asking us a question today, not who are you? But where are you? When we're in this quest for authenticity, we cover ourselves up, don't we? We cover ourselves up with so much stuff. We cover ourselves up with, uh, on Facebook by posting things that make us look or feel better than we really are feeling at that point in time or make us seem funnier than we are or better than they are, or maybe more needier than we are. I don't know. 
There's all kinds of ways that we cover ourselves up. And what that covering does is like Adam and Eve, it separates us from God. First of all, it separates us from God. How much stuff do we put in, front, in between ourselves and God? I'm a, I'm a person who deals a lot with fear. This morning I woke up and I was afraid about a number of things. I thought, why am I afraid? And I needed to get rid of that because that's between me and God. Because if I'm afraid, that's meaning I don't actually trust God. I don't trust his love. But I know that's true. My fears are not true. You have to get that stuff away because I need a clear, I need clear space between me and God this morning or I can't sit here and tell you anything. I have no right to do that. And when you get rid of the fear, what I thought, what I realized was, wow, in getting, in, in just even being honest with God and saying, I'm afraid about a few things here this morning. Can you, God, can you, can you clear that away? It also cleared the way for the people that I was afraid for or feeling fear about. See, when we're covering ourselves up, not only are we covering ourselves up between us and God, but we also cover ourselves up between ourselves and other people, don't we? You want to live an authentic life? We need clear space between ourselves and God and between ourselves and others. So where are you this morning? I shared this message with a friend a week or so ago and she keeps texting me, where are you? And I'm texting her back, well, where are you? Yesterday morning she said, where are you with the message? I told her where I was up to. I said, now where are you? And she shared some pretty deep stuff with me. She's struggling. It's a great question, isn't it? Where are you? In the story about Adam and Eve, um, you notice that they made coverings for themselves, but they were inadequate, weren't they? Stitching together some fig leaves, not going to last too long. (laughs) And God comes along, and again, he doesn't shame them. He doesn't poke at that pain by even criticizing the fact that they had covered themselves up. I was reading the story again yesterday and it struck me that, you know, it's actually appropriate for us to be covered. God didn't say to them, get, that, get those fig leaves off. It's appropriate for us to be covered. You want to be an authentic person? It's not a bad thing to have coverings. The question is about actually are the coverings inadequate or are they made and fit for you? When we try and make our own coverings, you can probably, I reckon, if we, if we take something from this story, making our own coverings, they're, not, they're inadequate. When you think about the kinds of things that I'm tempted to cover, well, what are you tempted to cover yourself up with? What am I tempted to cover myself up with? You know, it's nice to be thought of as popular and funny, maybe even powerful. But if I make that stuff up, again, it's just separating my... It's not adequate covering because it brings in separation. If I, I will be authentic and I'll disclose something today, I, I worry a lot about what I'll wear because I find it makes a difference to how I relate with people. But it can get in the way. Um, there's a, people know this about me. I've got a little power dress that I put on when I need to be powerful. It's, a ga- you know, it's like a game we play, isn't it? Sometimes I have to put the power dress on in order to show up in the room to be taken seriously as a female leader. I hate that. I feel like I'm manipulating other people. And yet I also recognise that it's a very human thing that I need to do in order to be able to do what I do. Is that authentic or not? I think I just need... I've just stopped worrying about it now. I just do it and make a joke of it. And I think, well, that's about as authentic as I can get about this game that we play about people, isn't it? 
but it's an inadequate covering because I feel like saying sometimes, if you knew who I really am, if you could just look beyond the clothes, then we might be able to get somewhere. And the same for me. You know, I make snap judgments as well. Don't you find that? We make snap judgments based on how we look. What we cover ourselves up with is usually inadequate. We need to find the better garments that God gives us, which all reminded me, which reminded me of the passage in Colossians, and I haven't got this up on the PowerPoint. You can look at this in your connect groups. And I'm glad you, I'm glad you could elevate call these conversations because this is a conversation that I hope will go on at least in this week and then further in your connect groups. Where are you? And what's covering, up, what, what's covering up you up at the moment? Is it, is it from God or is it stuff that you've put on yourself? Is this the best fit for you? And in Colossians, in that letter there, to, in Colossians 3, Paul talks about what, what are you wearing? And he talks about putting off and putting on. Put off the stuff that is not fit for you. Things like anger, jealousy, rage, bitterness, unforgiveness. There's a whole you know, sexual immorality, there's a whole lot of things that Paul lists. It's not a prescriptive list as, a, as an endless list, and it put those things off. And instead, put on the clothes that Christ gives for you. Just as God gave Adam and Eve clothing that was fit for them, he made them coverings out of skin. So through Jesus, we get to wear great clothes that fit us. Things like kindness, compassion, Mercy, forgiveness, faith, hope, joy, great clothes to wear. Hey, that's like, that's like designer plus clothes. <laughs> Better than the best fitting shoes, Louisa. <laughs> and above all, put on love. Love that covers a multitude of sin. How cool is that? Does that feel authentic to put on love, even when you don't feel like it? The best fitting clothes you will ever wear is to put on love. Love means that there's no separation between ourselves and God and ourselves and other people. Even when people hurt us, even when people don't treat us as we need to be treated or want to be treated, even then we can put on love and we can be authentic and there's no no space between no uh, nothing between ourselves and god and ourselves and other people i don't know about you but that feels to me like we might be getting close to what it actually means to understand ourselves as authentic human beings don't you put on love how cool is that that's the end of the message and i've got 1 minute left Mark Pomery, I did it. <laughs> yeah, so let me, let me pray for you. Father, we thank you for this time in which we live. It's a time that's confusing and it's a time that is also full of opportunities. There's nothing new under the sun. There's nothing that we haven't talked about today that human beings haven't been talking about for thousands of years. But we thank you that when we come to your word, we can get those aha moments where we just get it. And so, Father, today I pray for Elevate Church and for myself that we just get it. That, that this question, where are you, is a question that haunts us in a healthy way. 
It's a question that helps us to live more and more like Jesus. But it's also a question, Lord, that helps us to be more at peace with who we are because you love us just as we are. Yes, you're growing us. Yes, you're changing us. Yes, you want us to be more and more like Jesus. But at the same time, you love us just as we are, just where we are, just how we are. You know us so completely. And I pray, Father, for my friends here that this week they will be so overwhelmed by a sense of peace that they can just breathe and be a person of peace in a restless, pain-filled world. That this will be such good news pouring out of their lives but that they can't help but share the hope that they have in Jesus. This is life not meant to be kept to ourselves but life to be shared. And I pray, Father, that you would help each one of us to be authentic before you and before others where we don't put on clothes that are not adequate for us but that we are people clothed with love, with compassion, with kindness, people clothed with the good news of Jesus. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.